go. Uh, stay connected through our app, through the website, whatever it might be. But we're glad you're here. Uh, today, I'm going to be finishing up uh, the third part of our series on Promised Land, and we'll get to that in just a second. But next week, I want to let you know, in case you have forgotten or and you didn't hear about it yet, uh, we're starting a new series next week called At the Movies. And it is going to be a great series. We're going to have so much fun. Next week, what we'll be doing is, is for the month of September, we're basically going to be taking gospel truths and lifting those out of movies that you've probably already seen that you might know. And so what we're going to be doing is we're not watering down Scripture. We're not changing the message of Jesus. We're taking a timeless message and just communicating it in a way that's relevant for people today. So what this series is for is it's for you to bring all of your friends who maybe feel like church is um, old and antiquated and it's not relevant, it doesn't connect with culture, it doesn't have any idea where I'm at, and those kind of things. If you've got people that don't have a church home or don't have a relationship with God, that's what this series is for. So I'd love for you to take uh, some of these cards. We've got some invite cards out in the lobby. Take them, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, coworkers, um, if you're a student, some of the students maybe that you're in class with, invite them, get them here. During the month of September, we're going to have a blast. Uh, the lobby is going to be decked out. The stage is going to look crazy. So we want you to be here over the next few weeks. It'll be fun. You will regret it if you're not. So we are going to be, um, I will tell you this, I didn't tell this to the early service, uh, but we're going to have food every single week during this series for you, that you're going to be able to pick up some food in the lobby and come in here and eat while we're having church. And so some of you right now are like, oh, that's sacrilege. But I promise it's, it's not, okay? Um, if Jesus was here, he would get some food on the way into the service. So it's just fine, I promise. Um, so we're going to start that next week, though. Make sure you invite people. Because again, you know, the things we do, uh, some of the things we do, they're to help grow you. But some of the things we do, they're to help uh, grow others, to get people connected here to this church and help them grow in their walk as well. Because to be honest with you, if you're inviting people to church, if you're introducing them to Jesus, you are going to grow in your faith and you're going to grow in your walk, uh, whether you want to or not, whether you realize it. So we want to get you connected to some others, get them here over the next few weeks. We're going to have a great time at the summit going through at the movies. Uh, but today we're finishing up the Promised Land series, and basically the premise of the series is I truly believe in my heart that every person who is a believer who follows Jesus and has a relationship with Jesus, I truly believe that God has a divine promise for your life. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with you making a certain amount of money or with you getting something, but it has everything to do with you walking in the promises that God's got for you. And so many of us, we don't walk in God's best for our lives. And so over the last few weeks, we've been examining that and looking at that. Uh, two weeks ago, during week one, we looked at what, what's something that keeps us from God's promises for our life. And one of the things is that we just settle. Sometimes we settle for less than God's best for us because we realize we're comfortable. We don't want to pay the price. We don't want to go deeper We don't want because of what it might cost us because we're perfectly happy where we're at. And I'm going to heaven. Why would I want to go any deeper than this? And the truth is, we're never going to live the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10, 10, when he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest if we settle. We're never going to experience that for our lives. And that's what God wants for us. So last week, though, we talked about disobedience, how disobedience prevents us from walking in God's promise for our life. And the kinds of disobedience we talked about were, uh, were just ignoring God. Basically, we hear God's voice, but we don't do what he wants us to do. We hear God's voice, but then we do the opposite of what he wants us to do. And then there's times we hear God's voice and we do what he wants us to when we want to. And it's delayed obedience, and that's still disobedience. And so we talked about that and what that looks like and how that prevents us from being, uh, walking God's promise for our lives. So today we're going to take a different kind of uh, view of this because what we're going to look at today is the fact that sometimes 
you're going to be obedient to God and you're still not going to walk in the fullness of his promise for your life. And I know you're thinking, well, wait a second, you just said if you're disobedient, you won't be in God's promise. Well, I know that, and I'm not totally contradicting myself, but I guess I am a little bit. And so that's what we're going to look at, and we'll come back to that in just that thought in just a little bit. Uh, the key scripture for this series has been found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And it says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So what this is saying is, uh, this is talking about salvation in, in a broader sense, but what this is saying is when God has put a promise in our life, when God has given us a promise, that, that the way to that promise is, number one, to say our amen to God. And I've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but let me touch on it real quick. Basically, amen means uh, that we're in agreement with something. So if I'm preaching and there's some churches, that they'll pre- shout you down. Um, the church I came from, they were talkers. They liked to talk to me during the message, and that's okay. Um, but, the, you know, amen, preach, brother. You know, but what they're doing is they're saying, I agree with what you're saying. Does that make sense? So when they say amen, they're basically saying, I agree. So at the end of a prayer, when you say amen, you are saying, I agree with this, let it happen, let it be so, basically. So when this pastor says, our, we, we say amen to God, what we're saying is, God, I'm in agreement with you. What you want for my life, I want for my life. So I'm, I'm in alignment and I'm in agreement with you. So we come into agreement with God for his purposes and plans for our lives. And then it says that our yes is found in Jesus. So what you have to understand is that every promise that God has de- deposited in your heart, the answer to your promise is found through the doorway of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. You have to use a door to get into my house, okay? Maybe you use the window at your house. You're just like Kool-Aid man. You just run through the wall. I don't know what you do at your house, but at my house, you walk through the door. In order to get into the house, you walk through the door. And the door to our promises is Jesus Christ. To walk in your blessing, you walk through the door of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And so, well, thank you. My wife is, yes, my wife understands. No one else does. That's just usually just the opposite. My wife doesn't understand me and everyone else does. Um, so that's where we're at. Let, let's, let's get to today. Um, we're going to look at a couple of things that God's promise for your life requires. In order for you to walk in the fullness of God's blessing and purpose for your life, there are a couple of requirements. And the first one we're going to look at this morning is faith. Faith is something, is such a churchy word. We all think we know faith. We call ourselves people of faith, but sometimes we don't really walk it out and, and we don't really understand what faith is all about. And when I first started, when, I, when we first started developing this message uh, back in January, we planned it and laid it out. Uh, I knew that week three, I would probably use this portion of scripture and it's found in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, some people call it the faith chapter, some people call it the hall of fame of faith, but basically this chapter, it goes line by line, person by person, all these great things, all these great people of God and their faith and what God did through these people and it just highlights these different people's lives and it's so cool, it's so incredible. And so what it does, is it just goes through and, and it says by faith and then it says, you know, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah. And it goes through this, this list of people who are iconic figures in the Bible, who even if you're not a Christian or a believer, there's a lot of these people, you know their names, you've heard them, you, you recognize them. And what the scripture does is Hebrews chapter 11 walks through their stories just a little bit, gives you the highlights of their stories and talks about their faith. But let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11 
verse 1. And this is where we'll start. And it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For, it is, uh, for by, by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's interesting that you were the word, use the words assurance and conviction. I don't know about you, but um, conviction for me, it carries a different weight than a belief. I don't know if it's like that for you or not. Yes? No? Okay. Amen. So be it. I agree. Okay. Um, but for me, uh, I, I don't... I actually enjoy arguing with people sometimes. It's not a good trait. Um, I know there are people like that probably in this room that enjoy arguing with people. And at some point, I'll just give up because I'm like, eh, I don't really care anyway. Well, I, don't, I don't know why I'm still arguing about this. It doesn't even matter. So I'll just stop unless it's something that's a conviction. If it's just something I believe, then whatever. I don't care if you believe that. You can be wrong if you want to. That's fine. But, um, but if it's a conviction, I will go down in flames over conviction. I, will, I, I might be wrong about a conviction, but I'm going to take somebody with me, right? I'm going down guns blazing. Like, I'm not going to go down lightly. Like, if it's a conviction, it's deep-seated in me. It's something that I don't just believe. It's something that, that helps drive me and motivate me if it's a conviction. Does that make sense? There's a difference. And, and faith, what we have to understand, is not some, some whimsical belief in something we don't even know about. Because uh, sometimes we think, think faith is like crossing your fingers and hoping the tooth fairy will show up and bring the money and put it under your pillow and you're like, please let it happen, right? But faith isn't like that at all. Um, faith, it, it's, it's deeper and richer. It's not just some vague hope. Uh, it's not just something we imagine. But what it is, is it's, it's rooted in the character and nature of God. Faith is saying God is who he says he is, and because he is who he says he is, he will do what he says he'll do. Faith has closely related to relationships more than we realize, and we'll come to that in just a little bit. But um, I, I said this before, but, well, actually, in the last service I, I mentioned this, but when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for like eight years, and I was only late for one youth trip ever, okay? So when I would take kids somewhere and come home, I was only late once, in the history of me being a youth pastor. And I went on lots of trips. Um, and it wasn't because we never had problems or issues, but the reason I was only late once is because I would always tell the parents that I was going to be later than I actually was. Okay? Then you know, Maybe I was lying. I don't think I was. But what I would do is if I thought I would be home at 10, I would tell the parents, we're going to be home at 11. Because if I got home at 10.30, I was still a hero because I was 30 minutes early. But if I told them 10 and I got there at 10.30, that, oh, Mel Massingale, that guy's always late. He never shows up when he says he's going to show up. So you know what happens? I develop a trend. They know who I am. They go, oh, well, Mel said they're going to be home at 10. Let's get there at 11. And I'm sitting, babysitting kids for half an hour waiting on parents to show up, right? And so what I decided is I'm going to tell them later, and I'm going to show up earlier, and we'll be good. Because I wanted to develop that mindset with the people that, hey, when Mel says something, he's going to do it. Does that make sense? So what happened is those parents knew if I told them oh, we're going to be home by 10, they were going to be there at 10 o'clock to pick up their kids because I said it and I never messed up that they knew of. Maybe once. 
I know we'd have kids doing crazy things, throwing up in the van and all kinds of stuff. And this is totally not sanctified, but I'm going to tell you this story anyway. It was funny. We're driving down the highway in this van and the pastor's daughter, she's like all prim and proper. And she, and she dressed perfectly and her hair was perfect and everything. And she was just a good girl. She loved Jesus. And we're riding in this van down the highway, I-40 in Oklahoma City, traffic. And we've got the, um, got the windows popped open on the side. You know, they don't, they don't crank down. They just pop open a little bit. And she's sitting in like the third seat in the back. And she, Pastor Mel, I think I'm going to be sick. I was like, Naomi, I'm in the middle lane. I can't get over. Hold on just a second. I can't wait. And before we could do anything, she leans over and she gets sick out the window, which was bad enough. But then because I was going 70 down the interstate, it all blew back in the back windows. <laughs> worst. The worst. I think we had to like drop that van down by the river and just burn it. We just left it under a bridge. It looked like it was arson, like a mob hit or something like that. Uh, but we would do crazy stuff, but I was never late. And you know what happened? It established, uh, established trust with those parents because they knew if Mel says he's going to be home, he's going to be home. And this is what happens in our life with God. What we do is we say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you this much. And God proves himself faithful. And we go, okay, well, I'm going to trust you this much. Now I'm going to trust you this much. And what happens is our faith begins to be developed and built. And so faith isn't just some belief in some far off God that we don't know, but faith is rooted in our relationship with God so that we know when God says something, he will come through on that something. My table's in the wrong place, so I about fell over it. I'm sorry. So this is what it says. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. Um, so many times we say we're people of faith, but we don't walk in faith through our circumstances because what we do is we focus on the seen instead of the unseen. What we see is the circumstances around me. We see obstacles to God's promise for our life. We see the things that are in opposition to us and we go, I can't make it through. We see a difficult marriage. We see a, a boss that's a jerk and wants to treat us badly. Hey, you know what, if you're in that situation, take off tomorrow. I give you the day off. Don't worry about going in tomorrow. You have the day off. So we've got a boss that maybe doesn't like us, we can't get along with. We've got financial issues. We see all these obstacles in front of us. But what faith is, is it says, faith says, forget about the things you see and focus on the things you can't see. Focus on the things you can't see that are really important. What is that? The character and nature of God. Knowing that God will bring you through if he said he will bring you through. Does that make sense? But we focus on the seen instead of the unseen, and that's not how God wants us to work. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Apostle Paul actually tells us that pleasing God is our aim, that that is our goal, that that's our focus in life is pleasing God. So if pleasing God is the number one focus, then how do we please God? Well, we have to have faith. That's interesting because the word please God here, it's, it's translated, it's a Greek word, but it's actually closely related to a Hebrew word that's used throughout the Old Testament to describe a lot of the people from Hebrews chapter 11. So when we look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and we look at Moses and all these different people's lives, Enoch, um, the same word for please God is used in the Old Testament, but it's translated a little differently. And the way it's translated is walked with God. 
So when we look at it in this context, we understand that pleasing God is just not about performing in a way that's going to make a God that's way far off happy, that he's going to go, okay, they performed well. They were like, you know, the monkey dancing with the, uh, you know, with the music. Okay, good job. That's not what it means. What it means is God is pleased when we walk with him, when there's relationship, when there's intimacy there. God finds pleasure in that. And when I look at that, that it helps Scripture come alive to me a little bit because it's not just about us performing our obligations and our duties. We show up to church, and we show up the next Sunday, and God's like, wow, well done, right? No, that's not what it's about. Like, oh, they're watching the live stream. That's not as good, but at least they're watching. Like, it's not about checking off our list and making God happy that way. What it's about is saying, I'm going to be in a walk with God. I'm going to be in a relationship with God. And because of that, it brings pleasure to God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. When you look at the the phrase draw near to God, uh, it's the same verbiage is used in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so what we have to understand is that, again, our God is king of the universe. He has authority and he reigns over every situation and circumstance in your life. There is no one that doesn't answer to God, okay? God is supreme. But when we think of God simply as being a supreme being off somewhere, we rob ourselves of the intimacy that comes with being able to draw near to the king. Because in ancient times, not anyone could draw near to the king, you had to have special privilege. Had, it was an honor. And not even all of his family could draw near to him. But here we see clearly that as children of God, we can draw near to the king. There's intimacy related to our relationship with Christ. That it's not just simply he's a king and we got better do what he wants or he's going to squash us all. It's about us knowing God and having a relationship with him. The last part is interesting, and I won't spend a lot of time here, but it says, Draw near to God, must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. And sometimes we get a little uncomfortable with this because we start thinking, oh, is this like name it, claim it stuff? Like, hey, if you're just a good Christian, God's going to send you a check. If you send, put in a $1,000 check in the offering boxes today, God's going to give you a $10,000 check this week. And like, we could get excited about that, right? Like, okay, I'll write a $1,000 check if God's going to do that. But that's not what this is talking about at all. God wants to reward us as his children when our hearts are right. Not when we just simply do right, but when our motivation and our heart is right, God wants to reward us. Let me give you an example. And I hadn't planned on sharing this story. I didn't even tell my wife about it yesterday. But uh, we went to Greensburg yesterday and we did some shopping and we were in Target. And, uh, and, and pray with us fervently that God will bring a Target to Indiana, Pennsylvania. Would you pray with us? Let's just stop service right now. Let's pray for that. Anyway, so um, I don't want to drive to Greensburg for, for Target anymore. So anyway, um, we're walking through Target and, you know, I, my men are built differently than women. Women, their shopping legs are much stronger than men's are. And so my shopping legs were given out. And so I was tired. And so I said, hey, I'm going to go sit in the cafe. You want to go with me? She said, yeah. So we went and sat in the cafe and we're sitting there. And uh, there's this man sitting a couple tables over from us, and he just looked like things were rough for him. And I, and I wasn't trying to be judgmental or anything like that. And his head was down on the table, and he just had his head down, you know, slumped over. And I just thought, man, that, that guy's rough shape. And me being the spiritual, godly man that I am, I walked over, I stood up from my table, I walked over and laid a hand on his shoulder, and I said, in the name of Jesus. No, that's not what I did at all. Um, <laughs> 
Actually, you want to know what I did? I said, oh, there's a guy over there. And then I went back to paying attention to my daughter. Didn't even think another thought about this guy. I noticed him. I regarded him when I walked up and sat down. But didn't think another thought of him. So Emma's sitting there and we're talking. And she keeps looking over at this guy. And I said, Emma, what's wrong? And she said, Daddy, what's wrong with that boy? I don't know, baby. I'm not sure. She said, do you think he knows Jesus? And I felt convicted because I was like, well, I didn't even think about that. But maybe, I don't know. And, you know, I'm feeling defensive because I'm the pastor and you're just an eight-year-old. And... So I'm sitting there, and I said, well, baby, I don't, I don't really know if he knows Jesus or not. And she said, do you think he's having a bad day? And I said, well, he might be. I'm not, I'm not really sure. She said, I think we should pray for him. Golly, all right. And I said, well, what do you mean? Do you mean like, you know how sometimes we'll say in church, somebody say, hey, brother, hey, brother, how are you? I'm good. Hey, I've got this going on. This, I'll be praying for you, but there's no way you're going to pray for them. You know, you just lied in church. Like, I know none of you do this. We don't do that in our church, but other churches, they do that all the time. And so I was wondering, is this that kind of prayer? Like, we go, okay, we'll pray for him, like later tonight or next week or whatever it is. And I said, so what, what do you mean you want to pray for him? And she said, well, I think we need to pray for him right now. I go, do you want to go pray for him? And she goes, oh, no, 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 no. Like, she's bold, she's not that bold. And she said, no, I don't want to do that, but I think I just want to pray right here. And I said, okay. And I said, do you want me to pray or do you want to? She said, I want to pray. All right. This is an eight-year-old little girl in a public place. Like, we're sitting in the Target Cafe. There's people around us. And she just begins to pray for this man. And you could tell that it wasn't some phony fake prayer, that her heart is moved on behalf of this man, and she begins to pray for him. And she just prays this awesome, fervent, solid prayer for this man, and she finishes it. Of course, I'm like teary-eyed sitting across from her, so I don't know if it's worse, eight-year-old's praying or the grown man is crying in the Target <laughs> cafe. Anyway, so we're sitting there, and she says, would you like to pray now? What am I supposed to say? No. It's like when you go through the checkout line, you know, and they say, hey, would you like to give $2 to, uh, to cancer research? And you're like, nah, I'm not interested, you know. <laughs> I'm for cancer, so I'm not going to give to it, you know. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I'll pray, baby. And she said, okay. So I prayed, and I prayed for this man, and uh, she, we finished, and she said, your prayer was way better than mine. And I'm no, baby, it wasn't, I promise. But at that moment, I could not have been prouder of my little girl. Okay? Um, and it was not so much about what she did as much as it was about her heart. Because her heart motivated her belief. I said this last week, but her beliefs motivated her actions. She believed that this man is in trouble, that there's something wrong with this man. And that belief led her not just to have empathy for this man, but to say a prayer for this man. And she didn't just pray that things would be better. She prayed that he would know Jesus if he doesn't know Jesus. She prayed a prayer for him. And what we have to understand is that God delights in us. Just like I sat there and I was beaming with pride over my eight-year-old girl who said this prayer for this man. I was beaming with pride. And at that moment, if I could have moved heaven and earth to give it to her, I would have done it. Because I wanted to reward that. And I tell my girls all the time, good choices are rewarded, bad choices get punished. And it's the same in your life, in your work, in your, you know, driving down the highway, whatever it is, good choices are rewarded, bad choices are punished. You don't believe me, go make some bad choices at your job and see what happens tomorrow or Tuesday. Just see, you're going to get punished. It's going to happen, right? And it's the same in God's economy as well. When we make good choices, when our heart is right and we make good choices that glorify God, he wants to reward us. He wants to bless us because he delights in us because we get it when our heart is right. He wants to bless us. He wants to reward us. If we'll do what he's asking us to do and our hearts will be right before him. I love the last part of that verse. It says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Some of us are so desperate for mercy and grace in time of need, but we fail to recognize that we 
have the ability to access that throne of power through our faith. When we have faith in God, we can approach the throne boldly because we are children of God. Let me move on. Well, you know what? Never mind. Let me come back to Hebrews 11.6 just for a second. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If, if we reverse engineer this a little bit and just say, okay, with faith, it's possible to please him. So how do we please God? With our faith. We, we know him, we trust him, we're in relationship with him. And what does it mean to please? To walk with. So if we want to walk with God and have a relationship with God, we have to have faith to walk with him and have a relationship with him, that we should draw near to God or be in personal relationship with him. So what does it mean to have faith with God? In a nutshell, it means to know God and to trust him. We make it so hard, so difficult at times, but at the end of the day, to, to have faith in your life, to live a spirit-filled, faith-filled life, it requires knowing God and trusting him. Okay, now let me move on. Um, you know, faith isn't just about blind belief either. I said I was moving on, but I totally lied to you. Uh, faith is not just about blind belief. It's not just about saying, I guess I got to believe it because it's in the Bible, but it's about saying, I know God's character and nature and his track record. I know who he is. Because of that, I have put my faith in him. I trust him. Um, so the first thing we have to have if we're going to walk in God's promise for our life is faith. The second thing we have to have if we're going to walk in God's promise is action. Um, Oklahoma native and theologian, Will Rogers, said, it wasn't really a theologian, he got it, but uh, he said, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. So sometimes we talk about positioning ourselves uh, with God, but the truth is, even if we position ourselves in the right place to hear the voice of God, if we don't take action when God tells us to, we are going to miss out on God's blessing for our lives. So when God says, hey, this is what I want for your life. This is what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to act. Here's how, what I want you to be. If we don't respond to that, if we just sit there, then we will never walk in God's blessing for our lives. We talked this, about this a little bit last week and being obedient to what God is asking us to do. In James chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need uh, for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, what he's saying is, it's easy to say we have faith. It's easy to say, I'll be praying for you. It's easy to say those things. It's another thing to live it out. I've said this over and over again. Sermons are easy to preach, but they're hard to live. It's so easy for me to tell you what I feel like God is speaking, tell, talk about what we need to do to live a godly Christian lifestyle. It's, it's easy to hear it, but it's hard to live it, right? It's another thing to flesh it out in our everyday life. And what James is saying here is talk is cheap. It's easy to say stuff. It's hard to do it. So he's saying do something. When God tells you to do something, do something. And if you're not careful, you, you hear this passage of Scripture because it says faith without works is dead. And it's easy for us then to swing the other way and go, well, maybe it's all about works. But it's not all about works because we aren't saved by our works. We're saved by faith. In fact, it says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast 
For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what this is saying is when we have faith in Jesus Christ, when we come into a relationship with God and our faith is real small, we have just enough faith just to have a relationship with him, just to, to believe that he is who he says he is, and our faith begins to grow, what happens is the result of that faith is works in our life. Now, if you have a, a seed, you take it home, you, you buy it from the store, you take it home and you plant it in the ground, it's going to grow, right? Hope maybe if you're like me, it won't grow, but probably it's going to grow. And it's going to bear fruit. It's going to have some sort of fruit, and you're going to be able to identify what kind of seed it was by the fruit that it bears. And when I was in college, I had a couple of pear trees in my backyard. Do you know how I knew they were pear trees? Because I had pears every year, big pears, and they would fall off. There were too many for me to pick, and bees all over the place, and it was just it was a mess. I hated the pear trees at the time. But the reason I knew there were pear trees is because they had pears on them. Somebody planted a pear seed in the ground, and it bore a tree and fruit after that. And when we plant faith in the ground, it will, bear a, it will grow a tree and it will bear fruit. And that fruit that it is going to bear is works. Because we are driven by what we believe. Our beliefs drive our actions. So nobody has to tell me, hey, you need to be a good dad to your daughters. I mean, I know that, but do you know why I do some of the things I do for my girls? It's not because I've got a manual, like parenting for dummies, you know, that I'm checking off my list that I do this. Yeah, I did that. I'm good today. You know, did I do No, I didn't do that. I got to do that. I don't go through a checklist every day, but what I do is I allow my actions to be driven by my beliefs. There's things I believe about my girls that drive my actions. There are things I believe for my girls that I'm believing for my girls someday that drive my actions. Do you know why I try to be a really good husband to my wife? It's not just because she's a fantastic wife and deserves it, that's part of it. But why I try to be an excellent husband to my wife is so my daughters will see that, right? Because someday they're gonna be trying to find a man to marry. Maybe not, but we'll see. I told my girls they can live with me forever and they don't need to start dating until they're married. That's our, that's our rules at our house, okay? Um, but someday, my daughter's going to encounter some guy, and she's going to think, this guy might be marriage material. And what I want her to do is be good to go through the checklist. Well, nope, he doesn't treat me like my dad treats my mom. Nope, he doesn't do this. Okay, no, he doesn't do that either. And I want her to be able to have a good standard to compare future boyfriends against. Does that make sense? And so what I'm doing is I'm allowing my beliefs to drive my actions and motivate my actions. Are you following me? We have to do this in our walk with Christ. We have to say, I'm going to let... The things I believe drive my actions. And if I truly believe that God is who he says he is, and then he will do what he says he'll do, then it's going to motivate me to live my life differently than I have been living my life. Are you following me? And that's not what saves us. Faith saves us. But the fruit of our faith is works. Good works, actually, is what it says in Ephesians. You know, it says in James chapter 2, verse 17, Faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But I would go so far as to say works without faith is dead. Because there are many churches, there's many believers that think if I just work hard enough, I'll go to heaven. Or if I just try hard enough, if I just make God happy enough, I'll go to heaven. But that's not the case at all. It begins with our faith. It begins with knowing God and having a relationship with him. Because works without faith are just as dead as faith without works. See, God's promise for us is so much more than getting something to you but it, it's, it's all about getting something through you. Does that make sense? It's not just about you receiving something, but it's about you being a conduit of what he's doing for the people around you. 
God wants to use you to reach people. It's not just about you receiving everything God's got for you so that you can be happy and you can drive the right car and live in the right house and all those kind of things because that's not what it's about. It's about God blessing you so that you could be a blessing to others. When we talk about walking in God's promises for our life, it's not just about receiving. It's about being a conduit of God's incredible mercy and grace to the people around us. You know, when we look through Hebrews chapter 11, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, it says by faith. But let me go back and, and change that a little. It says by faith, and it'll say somebody's name, but then it'll also give an action that they took. So it'll say, um, like in verse four, it says, by faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch pleased God. By faith, Noah constructed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Sarah received. And so over and over, we see these statements that it's not just about having faith, but it's about having faith that drives our actions to do something for God. Does that make sense? Because that is what this end game is. It's not just about having faith to go to heaven someday, because that's fine, but that's not enough. It's about having faith that leads us to action, that motivates and drives our action to something else. So as we look through this, it's funny because we get to verse 13, and there's this passage of scripture that kind of sticks out. And so it's going through telling stories in verse 13. It, it, you know, we've just seen these stories of Abraham and Sarah and Noah and Enoch and all these incredible people. And then it gets to verse 13. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Wait a second, what? Can you read that again, Mel? I didn't understand it sounded like you said they died without receiving the things promised. Is that what it, that's what it says? Now, when you look at this and you go, that's kind of depressing. Like, if Abraham didn't get God's promise for his life, what hope do I have? Right? If it wasn't good enough for Enoch, who literally walked with God and was taken to heaven without dying, then I'm probably in trouble, right? Because this is the thing. It, I'm not going to fully answer that here. We'll come back to that in a minute. In verse 14, if you go on, it says, For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that, uh, that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So what this is saying is like with Abraham. God told Abraham, go from the land that you're in, go to a land that I'm showing you. And Abraham left. And Abraham had this promise. He had this covenant with God. And Abraham said, uh, and God said to Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the grains of sand on a beach. I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars in the heaven. It's, you can't even, won't even be able to count them, right? So Abraham left there. But never, Abraham never, ever, ever, ever settled. He continually wandered. He was constantly seeking God's continued promise and blessing for his life, and he never quite realized it. And at any point in his life, he could have turned around and said, you know what, this isn't worth it, I'm going back to Haran. At least in Haran it was comfortable. I wasn't wandering around. I had a house, I had a home, I had, it was comfortable. And when we're on our journey trying to see God's promise for our life and God's best for our life, there are going to be times when we're tempted to throw it in and go back and say, you know what, it's not worth it, it's too hard. I, I didn't sign up for this. But we're never going to encounter God's best for us. We're never going to encounter God's promise for our lives. So let me go on. It detours, it comes back. Verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham offered. It goes on, it says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessing. By faith, Jacob blessed. By faith, Joseph, he, he gave directions. By faith, Moses, he was hidden 
But it goes on to say, by faith, Moses refused to be called one of the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not be touched, or might not touch them. Verse 29 says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Verse 32 says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and it's a different Barak than you're thinking. Um, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith, listen to this, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now you hear this and it's easy to get fired up and go, this is what happens when we live lives of faith. We can conquer armies. We can tear down strongholds. The dead will be raised back to life when we truly have faith to live the life that God has called us to live. And it gets you fired up. But let me read the next part to you. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So what is it saying? We're gonna have a perfect life? Absolutely not. Saying when we walk a life of faith, Pursuing God's promise and his best for our lives, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be stress-free. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. In fact, you're guaranteed as a follower of Jesus, you're going to encounter opposition. You're going to encounter problems. It's not going to be perfect, but it will be worth it. This is what it goes on to say. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It, what it's saying is all these believers are going to be made perfect with us in heaven someday, that we are going to be made perfect, that the work that Paul talks about when he says, um, I press on toward the high mark of the calling of Christ Jesus, what he's saying is, uh, I'm pressing on to become mature in Jesus Christ. I'm not perfected yet, but I'm working on. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going for. And so when we talk about being perfected, we're talking about being fully mature in our walk with God and being able to see God face to face. And so what he's saying is someday we're going to experience that in heaven. And that's a comfort to us as believers. But I don't think that's all it's talking about. When we look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we look at some of the promises that were given to some of the incredible, incredible people of faith, the thing I keep coming back to over and over and over again is they never saw God's promise and they were fully realized. They, they never experienced it. Abraham was the father of many nations, but he never got to witness that firsthand in person. Why? Because God's promise was too big for his life. I think some of us are guilty of living lives that can contain God's promise, that we have a very small promise from God and we go, okay, this is good enough for me. And if God's promise for your life can be fulfilled in your life, it's probably too small a promise. It's probably not a God promise. But I choose to believe that God's got a promise for you that is too big for your life to contain, that the promises of God for your life are gonna spill over, not just to your kids, but to your kids' kids and their kids and future generations. Because the truth is, Abraham couldn't even number his descendants 
And they were all the beneficiaries of God's promise for Abraham's life. And I choose to believe that those of you that are sitting in this room with the, in the sound of my voice, God's got a promise for you that's bigger than your life, that's bigger than your life can contain. But it begins with you having faith and saying, God, I want to live a life that matters. I want to live a life of impact. I want to live a life that future generations are talking about. Because the promises of God's uh, promise from God for your life spills over and it can't be contained with you. That's the kind of life I want. I don't want to live a meager, humble existence and just barely get by and just go to heaven. And I don't want that. I want to make as much noise as I possibly can. I want to live a big life for God, and I want to take as many people as I can with me. I want to make an impact, not just a ripple. I want it to be a tidal wave in the people around me because they can't resist what God is doing in my life, and they are attracted to that. But it doesn't happen by us saying, well, maybe I can get by. But it happens when we say, God, I'm going to live a bold life of faith. I'm not just going to have faith, but I'm going to let it drive my actions, and we're going to see the world change because of that. Some of you are, are facing things in your life that seem too big. You're facing things in your life, the obstacles seem huge. The way you get through that, it sounds like preacher speak, it sounds like something a pastor has to say. Have faith, and then be obedient to what God's asking you to do. Step out and be bold and see what God does because God's got a blessing for you that you can't even begin to imagine if you'll just trust him and if you'll step out. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are here today. Lord, thank you that we can have a relationship with you and we can know you. God, I'm so thankful that, that today, no matter what is going on in the lives of the people in this room, Lord, no matter what the circumstances or situations say, you are God. You are sovereign, and you reign over every circumstance in our lives. There's nothing that is too big for you. So, Lord, I thank you that you are able to do abundantly more than we ask or imagine. So, Lord, today we are asking and we are imagining a lot, and we're believing for you to work in incredible ways. God, I thank you that it all begins with our faith, and I pray right now you would let our faith rise in this place. Lord, let us know you more, more intimately than ever before, and as we do, God, let our faith grow. God, let us not just be people of faith, but God, let us be people of action as well. Lord, have your way with us over the next few minutes. Be glorified here. Now, if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, uh, Mel, I, I hear what you're saying and it makes sense, but you know what? I'm not even really in a relationship with God. I don't even really know him. But today I would like to. And uh, I just need your help if you would pray for me. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand or do anything like that. I just want to pray with you at your seat. So if you would, right where you're at, if that's you and you need prayer and you say, I want to know God today, if you would just put your hand up and say, that's me. I need to be in a relationship with Jesus. Just say, pray for me, Mel. Okay. If you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian, but the truth is I'm not living that kind of life for God. I'm not living in the fullness of God's promises for my life, but I need to. And man, I want to live that life. I want to live a bold life. I want to live a life of impact. I want to experience God's promise for my life, but I want it to spill over to future generations. I want that for me. If that's you, would you put your hand up and say, pray for me? I want to live that kind of life. Thank you. All over the room, lots of people. Awesome. Let me pray with you right now. Lord, thank you so much for the people that raised their hand. They're sitting here today and they're not satisfied with just going to heaven. They're not satisfied with just living a good life, but God, they want your best. And I pray right now, you would let them press through the difficulties, press through the circumstance, press through the, the obstacles that they have in their life. 
And I pray that they would encounter you like never before. God, I pray for a depth in their intimacy with you. Lord, I pray that they'd walk closer with you than ever before. And God, because of that, let their faith be stretched and grow to the point that they can believe for the impossible to happen in their lives. God, it's not a mystery. Faith is all about a relationship with you. So Lord, I pray today that you would grow us. Let us know you like never before, Father. I pray for the people that are sitting here that raise their hands. Lord, I pray for those that are watching online. Lord, I pray that you would minister in them as well. God, I pray that you would stir up a passion to know you, to have a relationship with you, that it's richer and fuller than anything they've ever experienced. God, let us not be satisfied before we reach your best. God, let us not be disobedient and prevent us from getting to your best, God. But I pray today we would walk in faith. Let us put those faith, uh, that faith with actions, and I pray that we would see the impossible, the incredible happen in our lives. Have your way with us, Lord. I love you and I thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now listen, if you're watching online, uh, I just want to encourage you. If you need prayer of any kind today, you can email us at prayer at summittogether.com. Let us know if you prayed today and you'd like us to just come alongside you. Let us know about that. We want to pray with you. And I want to encourage you in this room too. There's a couple of ways that we can connect with you in prayer. The first is through our website, summittogether.com. You can... Um, Click on that and go to prayer and let us know. We're going to pray with you. Email us at prayer at summittogether.com. There's a card in that seat back in front of you. It's a prayer card. And if you prayed today and you responded today and you'd like us to continue to pray with you, fill that card out. Drop it in the offering boxes as you leave today. We're going to pray with you. Every one of our emails that we get in, all these prayer cards, we pray over those on Tuesday mornings in our staff meeting. Every single one of those get prayed over. We're believing with you over your needs. But I want to encourage you in this as well. If if you've got a praise report, if God's doing something cool in your life, we want to hear about that. So I want to encourage you, fill that prayer card out and let us know what God's doing in your life. We want to celebrate with you as well. So fill that out, drop it in the offering boxes as you leave today. We're going to go into one last song of worship together and we're just going to celebrate God and his goodness in our lives. But if you need prayer today and you'd like someone to pray with you, our prayer team is going to be on either side of the stage. Feel free during worship, this last song, to come find one of us. We'd love to pray with you. And then Pastor Matt is going to come up in just a few minutes and close us out. So why don't you stand your feet and let's go back into another song of worship together. Water you turned into wine Open the eyes of the land There's no one like you Darkness you shine And out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater Our God is stronger God you are higher than any Awesome and power, our God, our God. Into the darkness you shine, and out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. 
Oh, God. 